Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. When I was growing up, I was an avid Dallas Cowboys fan. I still am, but I don't get to watch too many of their games. Uh, something about working on Sundays kind of hinders that. I get to see... Uh, the second half, I see the first half. I don't think I've seen a full game, and I don't know when. But I grew up a Cowboys fan. In 1960, um, when I, I, Cowboys was the first word out of my mouth. Not mama, not daddy. Cowboys. It was easy to like the Cowboys because you knew all the players. You know, they were drafted by the Cowboys, and they would retire as a Cowboy. And so it was very easy uh, to, to watch these people. But then something came on the NFL scene called free agency. And no longer were they loyal to the team. Instead, they were loyal to themselves and where they could get a higher contract, a better contract. So teams would change every year. Loyalty to the team was gone. Now it's about what's in it for me and how much money can I make. It wasn't as easy to follow your favorite team because your favorite players no longer played for your favorite team. Now, I think that has crept in society as a whole. We live in a society where people are afraid to make a commitment. We have a generation that goes from job to job looking for a buck more, better retirement, or maybe a better position of opportunity for them. And it's crept into society as a whole, even in marriage. People are no longer committed to marriage. They're no longer committed to, to happily ever after. Instead, they say, I think we'll just live together and check it out. They're afraid to make a commitment. Let me tell you something. Living together is not a commitment. It's not a commitment. Uh, it goes against God's design. It goes against ideal. And I believe... As it's crept into the NFL, as it crept into NBA, Major League Baseball, all those things, it's crept into society, it's also crept into the church. We live in a society where people are just don't want to really be committed to the church. They don't really want to make that commitment. Why is that? Because if they make a commitment, that means they are tied down. And if they're tied down, then they're not free to do what they want, when they want, how they want, because they've made a commitment. I remember one church in which I served at, we were trying to do something different. Uh, we, can you believe that? I'd be in a pastor of a church and want to do something different. Can you believe that? And uh, we were going to do a children's worship because we thought that would work where we were. And so uh, we enlisted some people and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. Now, you know, give us a plan where you could go. He said, you mean I've got to do this 52 Sundays? I thought there's just like two or three times, two or three times. No, no, no. This is a commitment. 52 Sundays a year. All of a sudden they back, oh, well, I'm not willing to do that. Commitment. People just don't want to make the commitment that needs to be. They're not as committed to Jesus Christ. And when you tell people, get committed to Jesus Christ, then that's open for various interpretations and different understandings. Ultimately, it comes down to people want to be in control of their lives and in control of their situation. That's what it comes down to. They want to be in control, and they are ultimately saying, no, Lord. No, Lord. But today, 
this morning. I want to speak to those who want to know how to truly be committed to God. So if you're not really wanting to be committed to God, you can go ahead and tune me out. Okay, that's okay. But if you really want to know how to be truly be committed to God, then I want to speak to you this morning. I want, if you want to say, I want to know what it's like to stand tall for Jesus. I want to know what it's like to stand tall. Then I want to speak to you this morning. Because if there's one thing, if there's one timeless truth we need to learn as we experience these troubling times that we live in, is that we need to truly commit to God. That's the only way we're going to survive the troubling times that we live in is by being totally committed to God. So open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 25. We've been looking at these words under the heading, Timeless Truths in Troubling Times. Today we look at this passage in 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25 under the heading, How to Totally Commit to God. Listen to what Peter says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed, imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Three essential points, three essential truths to help you be truly committed to God. To, tr to commit, totally commit to God, you are to be holy. Notice what Peter says. Peter says we are to be holy just as God is holy. That's a timeless truth we need to learn. We need to learn that we need to be Holy. And holiness is not something we like to talk about in Baptist circles. Uh, matter of fact, when we start talking about holiness, we get just a little bit nervous when we start talking about holiness. You see, we're interested in, in, in to be saved, but we're not really sure about this thing we call holiness. We're interested in heaven. We're not interested in holiness. We're interested in, in, in health but we're not really interested in holiness. We're interested in happiness, but we're not really interested in holiness. We may even be interested in helpfulness, but we're not interested in this thing called holiness. I mean, how many of you truly say, I want to be holy? I mean, you really are committed to being holy. Do I want to be holy? Do, do you really want to be holy? Is there in your heart, is there in your soul, is there in your life a longing 
for holiness. When we talk about holiness, it immediately becomes up against resistance in our life. Why is that? Because we make fun of people that are holy. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's, there's a stigma to being called holy. You ever heard of the word holy Joe? Holier than thou? Or he's a holy roller? We make fun of those people. We make fun of holiness, but yet the Bible is clear. We are to be holy. The Bible's clear of what it has to say. So what does it mean to be holy? It means to be separate. It means to be distinct. It also means to be set apart for service, set apart for something special. It means all those things. You know, in, in many ways, when you get married, you set yourself apart for your spouse. When I married my beautiful wife, Gabby, it means I set myself apart for her. That means I'm not going to date other girls. I'm not going to see other girls. I'm exclusively, and I belong to her as she belongs to me. She, I am set apart for her. I've committed myself to her. That's true. That when you become a child of God, you become holy in, in a sense, but there's more to it than that. There's more to it than just when God places his stamp on and says, now you're, you're holy. Because we know we live in this world and we are tempted every day and we are drawn in, in the turbulence of sin into the difficulties of life. And so we know that, that if we're going to do this, it's going to put forth some effort. As a matter of fact, what does Peter say? He says, be holy. So the fact that be holy means that we have to put forth some effort. We have to do some things that can be holy. He doesn't say, you are holy. He says, be holy just as your Father in heaven is holy. In verses 13 to 14, he tells us how to be holy. Notice what he says. First, he says, verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. He says, prepare your minds for action. You know, it kind of loses some of the translation. We would understand this better if, we, if it said something like this. Roll up your sleeves and get down to hard work. He said, if you're going to do this, you've got to get serious. You've got to have a single purpose and you are zeroed in on that purpose. Single-minded. Paul had it right. He said, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. Paul says, I've narrowed my focus. I've narrowed what I'm going to do. My one thing, I'm going to pursue Christ. And I'm going to make him Lord of my life. All these other things I put aside and I'm going to pursue Christ. Paul had it right. You have to zero in. We have to put all of our minds on him. That's hard to do. Because our minds on all kinds of things. We are interested, hear me on this, we are interested in trivial things that a few years from now are not going to make a difference. <clears throat> but we focus on that. Very few of us are single focused and say, Christ is my focus. Christ is my reality. And I want to be more like Jesus. Not only are we to prepare our minds, look what it says also, prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled. This is one of the places I actually like the King James Version here because it gives us a vivid image. It says, be sober. We think, it's, oh, we know what sober means. That means don't be drunk. 
be sober. Be, be, we don't want something else controlling us. We don't want something else dictating us. Paul would later on use his expression, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The point that he's trying to make is that don't let your life be controlled by something else, but be controlled by God. Allow Him to control your life. So be self-controlled and don't let other things dictate what you do. Then he goes this another one in verse 14. He says, be self-controlled, set your... Then he goes on, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. I said, do not conform to your previous evil desires. He's saying not to chase after the things that used to dictate our lives. Listen, we don't do the things we used to do. We don't go to the places we used to go. We don't act the way that we used to act. And we will be obedient to Christ in all that we do. We will be obedient. There's three reasons for obedience. I thought about that this week. And there's three reasons for obedience. First, you can be obedient as a slave because he has to be obedient. Second, you can be obedient as an employee because he needs to be obedient. Or you can be obedient as a child because you want to be obedient. God wants us to be obedient as children. That's the kind of obedience God is looking for. He wants us to choose not to reflect the past life, but reflect our present life, who we are in Christ. These three things, preparing our mind and being self-controlled and, and not letting our past dictate us, those three things will help us be holy. Listen, it's not going to happen overnight. Matter of fact, can I just give you a glimpse into the future? You would never be totally holy this side of glory. You won't be. But my question is, are you pursuing holiness? Are you striving to really be holy in your life? It's not going to happen overnight. But if you think clearly and you're not given to the struggles and you leave your past behind, you're on a path toward holiness. That's the first step. That's the first step to being totally committed to God, to be holy. Second, to totally commit to God, you ought to have reverence. Look at verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Here's what Peter's saying. He said, all your work's going to be examined. Everything you've done, everything you will do, will be examined by God. And because our work will be examined, we are living reverence. We are living respect of that. God is going to judge every thing we do. Now, I'm not talking about the final judgment. The final judgment is not for us. That's for all those individuals who do not know Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior of life. I'm not talking about that one. We're talking about the judgment of us as Christians when we receive our crowns and when we receive our rewards, whatever that may be, we receive it. So what kind of judgment are we talking about here? The first thing you'll see is it's a family judgment. Notice what he says. He says, since you call on a father who judges. Listen, we are God's children. <laughs> Isn't that great? Amen. We are God's children and he is our father. And he loves us. He's our father and he's going to judge us as a father would judge his children. Now listen, 
Just because he's your father doesn't mean he's also, that he's not your judge. He's still going to judge you. And there's this attitude going around. Because I'm in the family, because I'm saved, it doesn't really matter what I do here on earth. Because in the end, it's all going to be forgiven. Because after all, there's no envy in heaven. There's no jealousy in heaven. There's no animosity in heaven. So it won't matter in heaven. So we can do whatever we want here. That's called, you know what I call that? Perverted theology. Perverted theology. Paul addresses this perverted theology in this passage that we're looking at. He says, not only is it going to be a family judgment, he said, but it's going to be a fair judgment. Notice what he says. He says, your father who judges each man's work impartially. He judges each man's work impartially. In other words, he's going to judge it without partiality. God's going to have no favorites. Oh, I know that burst your bubble because you thought you were God's favorite, didn't you? Well, I hate to burst your bubble. God does not have any favorites. No favoritism. God is going to judge the work of every Christian fairly. Notice what he says. He's not going to judge your work compared to somebody else's work. It says in this passage that he will judge each man's work impartially. Ladies, don't think you're off here scot-free, okay? Uh, you, know, you know, this is back in the age before we had gender inclusiveness. It's mankind. He's going to judge each person's fairly. We all will be judged based upon what we did, not based upon what others did. He would judge each person. So it's a family judgment. It's a fair judgment. Finally, it's a fearful judgment. Notice how he concludes that passage. Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Now, the word he's using here for reverence is not the cringing fear of a slave. You're cowering over in a corner because you're afraid of a wrath that might come. It's talking about uh, the, the fear that you have or the reverent respect for the Father who judges us. Basically, what he's talking about here is discipline. He says, you live within the, the shadow of the discipline of a loving father. He says, you, it's going to be that way. So it's respect for the father who judges. We live in reverence because we know that our loving father will discipline us if we get out of line. He will do that. Listen to what a, uh, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 8. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So those that God loves, he disciplines. Those that are his children, he disciplines. Hey, my father disciplined me when I was growing up. Now when I say that my father disciplined me, I didn't mean he put me in time out. I took away my privileges to the three channels of TV that we had. Eight, four, and five. Oh, we had channel 11 also. Uh, he didn't just... When my dad disciplined me, I got a whooping. I didn't get a spanking. I got a whooping. And let me tell you something. My dad was good at giving whoopings. He, he could do... He could grab me by one arm and take his belt off with the other simultaneously. 
And then as he would begin applying that, that, that belt of wisdom upon my, my, my hiney of knowledge, okay? Uh, or the belt, of, the, the belt of learning upon, well, anyway, you get the point. Uh, he'd be doing that, and I'd be going. You know what I began to realize? It was like an aerobic exercise. He'd be swatting me. I'd be trying to get away from him. And they pay people for that. Now I got it for free. <laughs> my dad whooped me. He dissed me. Why did my dad do that? Because he loved me. He loved me. And he knew what was best for me. And he disciplined me so that I would learn what not to do and what to do. He never abused me. But he disciplined me. Because he loved me and he wanted the best for me. Our Heavenly Father loves us so much that he disciplines us. He disciplines us. He will not allow us to continue on a path of sin and rebellion. He would discipline us to get our attention. Some will say, well, I'm a Christian and I've never been disciplined. In my entire life. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. The Bible says if you're a child, you are disciplined. And if you're a child and you have never been disciplined with God, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're either on your way to the woodshed to be disciplined or you're on your way to hell. That's the only two options available. Because the Bible says all those whom God loves, He disciplines as children. God disciplines those he loves. So if we're, going to be, if we're going to totally commit to God, we will have reverence for God. We will recognize that everywhere we go, everything we do, everything we think, God's watching us. He's looking over us. So we don't want to do anything that's going to disappoint him. We, we don't want to do anything that's going to bring shame to his name. And we want to please him in all that we do. Because we honor him and we reverence him. And respect Him as our loving Father. If you do not reverence the one who gave His life for you, then you might need to go back and see if you even know Him. We reverence Him. Third truth. To totally commit to God, you are to have a loving heart. Look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. I thought about this verse this week. And I believe one of the weaknesses, or maybe, this, maybe the weakness of the church in facing troubling times lies in our internal conflicts. Love is to be the priority of the church. That is to be the defining characteristic of the church is love. Love. Peter says, since they have accepted the gospel that brings change, we ought to have genuine love. We ought to have genuine love. Sincere love. He says we ought to have sincere love. We know what sincere means. It means without hypocrisy. Expecting nothing in return. We love them. Just as Christ loved you. 
even as you mocked him, even as you nailed him to the cross and you spat upon him with your sins. He loved you. And he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And we ought to love as Christ loved us. Peter says that we ought we to start proving it. He says, if you really love, he said, if you have, look at it, look at it, he said, if you have, if you have this unhypocritical love, that this, this true love for your brothers, love one another deeply. Deeply. Peter says, start proving it. Start proving it by the way you love one another. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say form a committee and talk about how you can demonstrate it. He doesn't say sit around in your Sunday school classes and, 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 and diagram love and look at the abstract term of love. He doesn't say sit around and talk about it. He doesn't say read about love and think about love. He says go out and demonstrate your love. I've told you this a thousand times. Love is an action verb. As long as it is in your head and it's not in your heart and demonstrated by the way you live your life, it's not love. Why? Because the Bible says what's in your heart, what? Will reveal itself by what you do. Oh, I just love my church. I just love my church. Show me. Show me. Show me you love your church. How do you do that? You do it by attendance. You do it by giving. Oh, there's that word giving again. Oh, my Lord, we're going to go to hell. Preachers talking to us about giving. Try that at home, guys. Honey, I love you, but I ain't going to spend a dime on you. <laughs> oh, I am meddling now, Brother Eugene. <laughs> but yet, here we are. The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. And he gave his all for us. And we can't give it to him. But go out and demonstrate it. Why do we demonstrate it? He tell, Paul, Peter tells us. Look at what he says in verse 23. For you have been born again. You don't see this phrase a lot in the Bible, born again. I know it's in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. But born again, people don't like that term today. You know, the theologians, oh, born again, it doesn't make scientific, it doesn't meet scientifically. We can't explain it. Here's what it just means. It means that you're not who you used to be. You're a new creation. You're not who you were. Now you're something new. You're a new creation. And how do we do that? Because we have the good news, because we've been born again, we demonstrate it by the way we love other people. What does the Bible say? Greater love, greater love, greater love has no man than this. That he's willing to lay down his life for his brothers. Now I doubt very seriously if any of us are going to be asked to lay down our lives for our brothers. But we might have to give up our preferences. We might have to give up our comfort. We may have to give up the things that make us secure. Why? For the sake of the gospel. 
for the sake of the gospel. We should, we should be willing to become all things to all people that we might therefore win some to Christ. To Christ. How does this work practically? Uh, that's always a question you want to ask. Okay, we, we've talked about love and it, it's still an abstract. Well, how do we do it practically? Uh, well, uh, let me tell you one way that you don't do it. Or one way you do it, by faithfulness to the fellowship. Faithfulness to the fellowship. One of the ways you demonstrate your love is you want to be around your brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to be around them. And so I, we prayed yesterday morning. I, let me give you a little confession. Yesterday morning, I normally get up on Saturdays and go eat breakfast with some, some men that I deeply love and enjoy the, the camaraderie and the fellowship we have. I texted one and said, hey, I won't be there this Saturday for breakfast. My intent was to miss prayer time. Because my wife and I never have a weekend off. She's always got something going on. I've got something going on. We both have something going on. We said, it's a Saturday. There's nothing on the calendar. Woohoo! I woke up. God woke me up about 7, 7.20. And I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I feel guilty. I need to go to the church. I need to pray for my brothers. And I'm so glad I did. It was a great time of prayer. And I remember in my prayer, and I don't usually remember much I say in my prayers, but I remember this. And I said, you know, Lord, what I, what, what I pray would happen is that tomorrow morning people would get up and they would feel guilty for not being in church. they feel guilty for not being in church. Because one of the ways we show our love for one another, you know how it is? By faithfulness to the attendance. Faithfulness. Faithfulness faithfulness and faithfulness. But let me get a little more personal level. Can I get down where you live a little bit? I want to get your toes out of the way. Is there somebody in congregation you're angry with? Is there somebody in the congregation you do your best to avoid? Is there someone in the congregation that you're not willing to speak to? Is there someone in the fellowship to whom you hold a grudge or animosity? Listen to what God's Word says. Don't listen to me. God's Word says, you cannot say you are totally committed to God if you do not have a loving heart. You can't. How can you say, that you love Him who you have not seen when you can't love those who you see. Jesus. Notice what Peter says. He said, God's Word does not change. Aren't you glad God's Word does not change? God's Word teaches us to love one another. People come and people go. Attitudes change. Personalities differ. We love one another because God's Word tells us to do so. And His Word has not changed. Peter says, that's the Word that was preached to you. That's the Word that is preached today. It applied then. Guess what? It applies now. Why is this so important? Why is it so important that we love one another with this sincere love? 
Because when we're out there in the world and we are shot down and we are, we are laughed at and we are going through troubling times, we have a support system. We, we have a group that will love us through the good and love us through the bad. We have a group of people that will stick by us through it all. They will be there when you need them. And they will help you endure the troubling times. They will help you endure the difficulties. But there's a second reason. If you cannot love those that we will spend eternity with, how are you going to love those who do not know Jesus yet? Stop and think about it. If you cannot love the people in this room, the people in this body of believers, who you are going to spend eternity with, how are you going to demonstrate your love to people out there? This is the proving ground. This is where we put our faith into practice in loving so that then we can go out and love the world as Jesus loved the world. What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever will believe in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Could it not be? that to demonstrate the same type of love that God showed us, that we as who are called by His name are to go out and love the people so they too can come to Christ. Never trivialize what we do here. Everything we do is important. From the worship to the greeting to the pulling out the bulletins, to welcoming people that come in the front door with a smile, with a hearty handshake, saying, I am so glad you're here to worship with us today. Let me walk you to your chair. Let me walk you to your seat. To the Sunday school class, and we sit there and we study God's Word and we pray for one another. Even to sitting around a coffee table. Can you believe that? God made coffee for us to sit around a table and talk about Him. And I love me a good cup of coffee. We sit out and we visit, young and old, rich and poor. Listen, my friends, don't be in such a hurry to rush to your Sunday school class to get a chair that's going to be there even if you're a little bit late. When you might be able to spend two or three minutes talking to somebody you've never talked to before. Get to know somebody you don't know. I had a pastor friend of mine said one time, we give you, we give you permission a hundred times to forget somebody's name. A hundred times. Just keep introducing. I don't know if we need to do that here. But, you know, just keep introducing. Keep meeting. Keep talking to people. Demonstrating your love for them. Everything we do. This is a place we can learn to love. And the question I ask you as I close. Are you really committed to God? I mean, are you truly committed to God? Brother Kip's going to come and lead us in a closing song. An opportunity for you to respond to what you heard. I'm going to have you stand as I lead us in a time of prayer. And give you opportunity to pray and seek God during this time. We're not going to have an invitation. Well, you can come. The invitation is you to talk to God. 
right where you're at. And maybe you need to pray a prayer like this. God, help me to love people the way Jesus loves me. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here today, to worship, to pray, to give, to hear your word. Now we pray, Father, that you will communicate to us what it is you'd have us to do. Was in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.